Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us through it this morning. We trust that you desire to speak to us through it this morning. Um, So do that, Lord, change us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like we've been doing all throughout this sermon series, I'm gonna start by asking you, what in this passage are you curious about? And it's very appropriate to do that this morning also because it's about children. And as you may or may not know, children love to ask questions. So uh, let's, let's embrace it this morning. What questions do you have? What are you curious about from this passage? Yeah, what did it look like when Jesus was indignant? Why were the disciples rebuking the children? Yeah, <laughs> how did they rebuke children? <laughs> also a great question. <laughs> yeah. How can adults be children? What does that look like? What else? What else from this passage are you curious about? One or two more. I know you guys got it, didn't you? It's Mark 10. Also a great question. What passage are we in? <laughs> yes, Mark 10, 13 through 16. So you can go back and look at it in your Bibles. Yes, great. Love it. How did he bless them? Yeah. Where were their parents? <laughs> Oh, they had them on leashes, so the parents were a little bit further away. No, uh, you guys, thanks for doing this with me. Uh, I just want to remind you, right, part of the reason that we're doing this each week is to remind you that what is happening here is not a show, that uh, church is not about up here. Church is about what the Holy Spirit is doing in all of us during this service, and that we would come as people who aren't here to consume and step away and think, well, that was interesting, but that we would be people whose hearts and minds would be engaged with what is happening in the service. Okay, so this is where we're going today. Uh, we're gonna deal with two, two different questions from this passage. The first question we're gonna talk about is, what is the kingdom of God? Because that seems to be an important question that Jesus is trying to address here. Is, uh, he's talking a lot about the kingdom of God, so we've gotta ask, well, what is it? And then, How do I get into it? So those are our two questions we're gonna answer this morning. What is the kingdom of God and how do I get into it? We'll probably answer some of the other questions you guys asked uh, along the way. And I wanna spend a minute talking about uh, the way, what is happening in this passage first. Because the way that Mark so often uh, tells his stories is kind of like portrait mode on your iPhone. Okay, so Mark's gospel is the shortest of all of the gospels. It's very concise, and Mark leaves out a lot of details, and he does that really intentionally. Uh, What he does is he'll leave kind of the edges of the story fuzzy so that the things that are clear are the things that we hone in on. That's how portrait mode works, right? I have an old phone, so I've only seen it on other people's phones, but that's what I've heard. 
So what kind of happens in the story is we have all of these questions that are fuzzy, like who is bringing the children? It just says them. They were bringing children to him. We're assuming it's their parents, right? That probably makes the most sense, but we don't really know that he might touch them, that he might touch them, that he might bless them. We have all kinds of questions about uh, what did, what did that mean? Like, what was the tradition behind having teachers bless children? And uh, the reality is we don't really have a lot of information about that. But there was something that these parents wanted for their children that they believed that Jesus could give them. How old were the children? We don't really know, okay? Uh, this this set of verses or this story shows up in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And in Luke, when it shows up, Luke calls these children infants. So that would make us think that maybe the children that are being brought are babies or certainly are very young. So these parents are bringing their young children to Jesus to have him bless them. And the disciples are rebuking them. This word for rebuke is the same word that scripture uses when Jesus rebukes demons. So it's a pretty strong word. So the disciples are telling these parents, no, they're trying to keep the kids away. And then Jesus becomes indignant at the disciples for rebuking the kids. And this expression of him, of indignation, is the strongest word for anger that we get for Jesus anywhere in the Gospels that the thing that makes Jesus the most angry in his interactions with people all throughout scripture is the disciples trying to keep children away from him. And then this passage takes a really kind of interesting turn because Jesus turns this interaction with the disciples and the parents and the children uh, into a teachable moment. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he takes them in his arms, he blesses them, laying his hands on them. And so there's this bringing together of this teachable moment, this metaphor about children entering the kingdom of God and the children who are physically right in front of Jesus. So we could, if we wanted to this morning, we could talk about infant baptism, we could talk about uh, all of the blessings of volunteering in Kid Town, which there are many, okay? But that's not kind of the direction that we're going this morning. We're gonna talk about what is the kingdom of heaven and how do we get into it? So what is the kingdom of heaven? And if we don't establish this, the rest of the the kind of lesson that Jesus is teaching here, this teachable moment doesn't make sense. Because if if you don't wanna enter it, uh, then him telling you how to enter it is totally irrelevant, right? This whole time as I've been preparing this sermon, I just keep thinking about Disneyland the Magic Kingdom, right? Are any of you Disney people? Like, because they're, they're, peop- they're people, you know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Brian up here, Disney person, okay. People who love Disney, right? And when you talk to them, and you're, you know, if you're trying to debate, well, you know, do we go, do we not go? It's kind of expensive, it's hot, there are a lot of people, and they're like, no, you gotta go, right? And they can tell you all of the reasons that Disney is so magical. This is why you gotta come to the kingdom. And you're like, great, how do I do it? And they tell you it just costs a lot of money, it's really easy, right? Knowing why you would want to go makes a difference as to whether or not you're going to go. It's what makes the how question relevant. So let's talk about it. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God that Jesus is telling us how to get into in this passage? Quite simply, the kingdom of God is the kingdom that God is king over. 
The kingdom of God is the kingdom in which God is king. Okay, that seems a little bit obvious, right? And in, and in one sense, uh, that's the entire creation already because God is always king. He always has been king. He always will be king. He is always exercising his sovereign authority over his creation. And yet, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is kind of used interchangeably in the gospels between the two, uh, depending on the writer. The kingdom of heaven is, is also this very specific thing. And Jesus, annou- Jesus announces it throughout his ministry. When he starts his ministry, he tells the people, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's broken into this world. Jesus says, I have come to bring the kingdom. It makes me think of the Lord's prayer, right? When, when our Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That what Jesus was teaching us is that there's a gap between the way that we live in this world and what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like here on earth. There's a gap between those two things. And that gap exists because we as people have rebelled against the kingship of our God. That that we as people are constantly resisting his kingship. And we have set up a rival kingdom, a kingdom of man. So the kingdom of God is this kingdom in which God is king, but the people who are living in that kingdom are submitted to his kingship. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where the values of the king are being fleshed out, are being worked out in and amongst the people. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. So that is, uh, that's the kingdom of God. Let's call it this. Yes, and then over here we'll have uh, the kingdom, the kingdom of man. So we've got these two different kingdoms. So we get to talk about uh, what is the difference then? Is, it's been a long time since we've used the whiteboard, hasn't it? It's pretty exciting. I'm excited about it. Uh, so what is the difference then between these two kingdoms? Uh, one of the things, and we, there we could say a lot about this. We're just going to say a few things. So one of the things about the kingdom of man is the kingdom of man is all about what is on the surface. One of the ways I was, I was thinking about that this week is we live in a world that is very concerned about our words, right? And speaking in a way that's very precise. And that's something that scripture honors in a lot of ways. What scripture teaches us is that our words can be very harmful and hurtful and that it's important that we consider how it is that we're speaking to other people. But what's so true about our world is that there's often this obsession with what is, what is happening on the surface, but what is not addressed is what's happening in the heart. Because what's true is we can change our language about all kinds of things to be language that's more honoring to other people, but there can still be hate in our hearts toward those people. And the kingdom of heaven is concerned about our hearts being changed and yeah that's going to result in us talking different it's going to result in things on the surface being different but jesus is not interested in managing the surface of your life the kingdom of god is profoundly interested in the heart of its people another way of saying this kind of a different angle on it would be the kingdom of kingdom of man is very concerned about appearances isn't it Isn't that what our world is about? Curating an image for ourselves? 
even if the image that we're curating is how much we don't care about what other people think about us, right? That I can work really hard to prove to you that I don't care what, I, what you think of me. Wait, did I say that right? I can work really hard to prove to you that I don't care what you think about me, and it's important to me that you know that I don't care what you think about me, which is still being consumed with appearances, isn't it? That this is, this is what's true about the world is that uh, the, kingdom of, the kingdom of man is that it's consumed by the fear of man. That what's true about, then, about the kingdom of God in contrast is that it's shaped by the fear of God. And, and not that God is, it's shaped by a fear of God that's, uh, that's reverential, that's full of awe, that recognizes uh, that one day we'll stand before God in judgment and that the judgments of man will have no- nothing to do with the judgment of God. And that, f- and that fear also touches on the love of God for us that we're confident when we stand before God in judgment, we can be confident in the love that he has for us because of what Jesus has done. And so this fear not, becomes not a, a nail-biting terror wondering what's gonna happen, but a confidence in the love of God for us and that we would actually be in awe of and be in reverence of the love of God for us. And what that brings us is freedom. freedom from having to worry about our, our appearance. It allows us to see the truth about ourselves and to be okay with other people seeing the truth about us, which is that sometimes uh, we're, we're beautiful and that sometimes we're ugly. That sometimes we act in ways that we're so proud of that are so consistent with the kingdom of God, proud in a good way, and other times we do things that we're ashamed of. Yes, that's true about all of us. And the fear of God gives us the freedom to admit that that's true and to let other people see those things, to put down our obsession with appearance. And this love that God has for us, we sang about it in that first song. It's a gift of his grace. It's a gift. The kingdom of man is a kingdom where everything has to be earned, where everything has to be proved. And we could, go, we could go on and on that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of life, that the kingdom of, of man, the kingdom of this world is a kingdom of death, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice and of righteousness. And that the kingdom of man is a kingdom of injustice. The kingdom of God is a kingdom where weakness is our strength. The kingdom of man is a kingdom where might equals right. These are different kingdoms, aren't they? Which of these kingdoms do you want to be a part of? Which of these kingdoms do you want to live in? We'll just do this as an exercise. Who would prefer to live in the kingdom of God? Would you raise your hand? Right? Who would prefer to live in the kingdom of man? 
It was, a set, it was a setup, huh? This is the kingdom that Jesus tells us has broken into our world. This is the kingdom that he's told us he's bringing. But what he's also told us is that uh, in the world that we live in now, these kingdoms are mixed. That it's, we're gonna, we may ride the Disney metaphor a while, okay, this morning. Just be prepared for it because it, I think it helps us in a lot of ways. Uh, at Disney, there's the in and there's the out. You're either in Disneyland, right? Or you're outside of Disneyland. And there's a clear demarcation between the two. That's not true about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man in this present age. That what scripture consistently teaches us, what Jesus consistently teaches us is that they overlap. That the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdom of man. It's like when you're at the playground and there's grass that's popping up through the asphalt. It's springing up. It's making space for itself everywhere. My wife and I were just in Philadelphia and we were walking through this neighborhood that's just row house after row house after row house and it was a part of town where there were no trees. It was, uh, it was just, a, it's just a concrete jungle. And all of a sudden, we walked by this blank space between two houses and it was full of flowers. There were these tulips that were blooming. There was all of this greenery, all this vegetation. And, it's, and it stopped me in my tracks. I thought, this is so beautiful and if you blinked you'd miss it that's the kingdom of God that it's breaking in into the midst of our world so how do we get into that kingdom Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, what's so interesting to me is that this passage occurs in, so I told you it, it occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? And uh, in all of those, in all of these books, it always occurs right before the story of the rich young ruler, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And just, if you need a little refresh, the rich young ruler, there's this man who has everything that you could ever want. He is, he's, he's the, the chief of the kingdom of man, right? He, he has power, he has authority, he has youth, he has money, and he even has a sense of righteousness. Like, he's a good guy. It's easy to look at this and think, oh, these are bad people, these are good people. That's not what we're talking about here. There are plenty of ways of living in the kingdom of man where th you can do a lot of really good things. And this rich young ruler had done a lot of those really good things. And he comes to Jesus and he says to him, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And in each time that story is told right before that story, this story of Jesus and the children is told. And what does Jesus say in that story, in this story? No, the how is that you have to receive the kingdom of God. That what all of the gospel authors are doing is they're contrasting the rich young ruler and these children who are given the kingdom by receiving it. And how do children receive things? 
maybe you have children, okay? So we could talk about that. Um, but what is also true is that all of you were at one time children, right? So was I. So let's just, I want you to approach this from that perspective, thinking about how children receive things, how you receive things. That there was a time in your life um, where somebody else, quite possibly your parents, had to do everything for you. That was true for you. There was a time when you could do nothing for yourself. Nothing. There was a time in my life like that too. That's, tr- that's true about us as people, that when we come into the world, we all, all we have to offer is our neediness. And all of those needs have to be met by somebody else. That outside of someone else meeting our needs, we have no hope for survival. And that there is a time in our lives where everything that we have, everything, is something that we have been given by someone else. That we own nothing, that we can do nothing, a time when we, each of us, was totally dependent. And for us to be here means that someone met those needs for us. So when Jesus tells us that we're to receive the kingdom of heaven like children, what he's underlining for us is that we're the only thing that we have to bring that we would receive the kingdom is our own need for someone else to do it for us. Friends, that's it. That's all that you can bring to Jesus. That's all that I can bring to Jesus is our need for him. kingdom is for people who are needy, which is such good news because that means it's for people like you and for people like me. Because we are people who have a lot of needs, right? That we are people who don't even know the difference between our wants and between our needs. Like my son is one and a half and he, uh, you know, in learning to talk, really latched on to, I want it. I want it. I want it. Well, what do you want? I want it. So we're trying to figure out what do you want. He has since graduated from that and replaced the word want with need. I need the ice cream cone. (laughs) Well, it's 7 a.m. You don't need the ice cream cone. You want the ice cream cone. You don't really even know what you want, right? Or you do know what you want and everything you think that you want, you think that you need. Yeah, that's us, isn't it? And Jesus doesn't expect you to know the difference between what you want and what you need. Praise God. That what he asks you to do is to bring your neediness to him and to bring it like a child. To bring it with all the hope and all the joy and all of the trust that your needs will be met. That you would bring it like my son asking for the ice cream cone at seven in the morning. You wouldn't have to do the dance of figuring out what is the right thing to pray for. Just bring it. Man, and receive the kingdom. Maybe, 
maybe you're hearing this invitation to the kingdom for the first time. And in practically what receiving that invitation from Jesus looks like to bring your neediness is to confess to Jesus your need for him. To say to him, Jesus, I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. But you would say to him, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, for all the ways that I have tried to earn favor with you. And Lord, I need you to give me favor because it's something I can't earn for myself. But that's how we enter the kingdom is by receiving what he's done for us. And here's what is mind-blowing, is that's how we live in the kingdom. That's how we mature in the kingdom is by maturing and recognizing our neediness. See, what we so often think is that uh, when we enter the kingdom of heaven that we've got to grow up in the kingdom of heaven like we've got to grow up in the world. That like if you've been around church a long time that, that uh, it's easy to get cynical, isn't it? that it's easy to grow up and leave this place of neediness and move into a place of proving all the things that you were gonna do for God. Yeah, that is not the kingdom. That for us to mature in the kingdom is for us to continually recognize our need for God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. G.K. Chesterton, this old dead guy, he says this. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. Amen to that, G.K., okay? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. That our father never gets tired of us bringing our neediness to him. That every time that you think, oh, Lord, Again? I'm here again? I'm asking for this again? I'm asking for forgiveness for this again? And, and the, the ways that we despise that in ourselves, your heavenly Father does not despise that. He delights in it. The invitation is that we would receive that delight and then delight in him. One of our New Year's resolutions is to teach our children to be more independent. Which, you know, is hard for all of us. And the other day, I was working on something with my three-year-old. 
And she was asking about, you know, why? Why do I have to do this? And I said, well, one day you were going to grow up and you were going to be a woman living out in the world on your own and you're going to need to know how to do this. And she looked at me and said, I'm not going to live with you? Oh, thought maybe that was a little bit too much information for a three-year-old. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> but what she was expressing was this desire of like, Daddy, I love you. I trust you. Why would I ever not want to be with you? And yeah, I don't want her to live with me for forever. Because there's a way that growing up in this world is important that we learn to be independent. But that is not true with our Heavenly Father. But he is never asking us to grow up and to leave the home. To grow up and leave this place of receiving. That growing up, that maturing in our faith is learning what it means to be constantly receiving from our Heavenly Father. And don't worry, my daughter solved to her problem was that she would just live forever with her brother. And I was like, okay, we'll just stick with that for right now. And as we learn to be people who are receiving from our Heavenly Father, it, it allows, it changes, because it changes the way that we, uh, that we relate to other people who are needy. Because what it does is it strips away from us all of the pretension in our lives. It strips away all of the things that we would use to put ourselves above other people. And it allows us, regardless of where anybody is in life, to say, I'm needy just like you. And it allows us to be agents of the kingdom of God out in the world. Not who are so confident in our ability as saviors to go out and to save other people, but confident in our God's desire to give to other people because we know how much he delights to give to us. And where I want to steer us with that is into the report that you have sitting in your pew. So you can pull it out now and look at it if you'd like to. I, th I thought I... Oh, okay. This Napier annual report. Okay, so now put it away because I'm going to talk about it and you can read it after the service because you can take it with you. Okay? I just wanted to acknowledge that it was here. <laughs> uh, so I want to explain to you how what is happening in Napier fits in with what uh, we just talked about from the scriptures this morning, okay? So Midtown, the way, that we, the way that we're set up as a church is that we're one church, which means we have one, uh, we call it a session of elders, right? We have one budget as a church. We share a lot of things together like our small groups ministry and our youth ministry. Uh, we share all of those things. And we also have separate congregations. So this is one of our congregations. We have a congregation over uh, on Granny White, a, congre a congregation over in 12 South, a congregation in West Nashville, a congregation in Creve Hall. And we're planting this congregation in the Napier community. Napier is a community that is just south of downtown and is an area of town uh, that is predominantly government housing. It's in the 99.9th percentile for poorest communities in our country. And so one of the things we've been asking for a long time is, Lord, how would you ask us to leverage our resources as a body to love people uh, in our community who have different levels of uh, physical need than we do? 
different, maybe different experiential levels of need uh, in some of the basics of living in the world. And we've really wrestled with that. And that we know what's true is that the church is the hope of the world. That the gospel is the hope of the world. And yet, where the gospel comes, the kingdom of God is always coming. That those two things can't be separated. And so our question has been, how do we bring the kingdom of God into this neighborhood? Not that it's not already there, but how do we cooperate there with what God is already doing? And this report talks about some of the ways we've been doing that over the course of this last year. It talks about starting a youth group in the Napier community, that there are over 30 students who meet regularly for weekly uh, spiritual formation and fun together in this community. That that's a way that we're participating with the kingdom of God happening in Napier. The produce partnership that we talked about, right, that like, uh, like John was describing, Napier is a food desert, is what they call it. There's no access to fresh produce in that neighborhood. And so when you purchase a produce partnership, a CSA here, it defrays the cost of people in that neighborhood being able to have access to fresh food. And you can look over this, uh, this pamphlet a little bit later to look at all of the detailed ways that Midtown has been involved in that community. And one of the things I want you to hear really clearly this morning is that that is one of the ways that you are helping to bring the kingdom of God in Nashville. That what is happening in Napier is, is, is an investment, is, uh, is a work of this community and of Midtown as a whole. And that just because you aren't there yourself day in and day out does not mean that you are not supporting the kingdom of God happening there. Happening there, You are. That this is, this is something that we are doing together. You've given of your time, of your talent, of your treasure to see the kingdom of God happening over there. That's true. If you remember, uh, this was a few months ago, but Jonathan Nash, Jonathan Nash and DeCarlos Robinson were here on a Sunday and they, they preached to us, they brought us the word and they talked about uh, the, the vision that they have for what God is doing in the Napier community. And they talked about how God is building a kingdom, how God is building the kingdom of God in Napier and in this kingdom, uh, strangers are becoming neighbors and neighbors are becoming family. That's the vision of what's happening in Napier, that strangers are becoming neighbors and that neighbors are becoming family. And that what God is doing there is God is building his kingdom. There's another congregation of Midtown that is happening in this part of the city. And that you get to be a part, we get to be a part of making that happen. And this ministry has asked us, Napier has asked us uh, that we would that we would partner with them financially in what they're doing over in that community. Because what's true is that uh, when East Nashville was planted, it was planted with uh, Midtown-wide resources, but this community was also contributing to the work of this community. That's what's still happening here, right? We've talked about this before, that uh, as a whole, Midtown is still uh, floating us financially as a congregation, and they're happy to do it. 
because what they want to see is a beachhead for the gospel established. They want to see us established as a thriving community of worship and witness in East Nashville. And other people in the Midtown movement are giving, and some of that money is coming here because they want to see that happen. Yes. Praise God for that, right? And then what we're saying with Napier is that we want to be a part of that for a different, for another congregation. And so the ask is, would you, would you pray about, would would God be calling you to give financially to that Napier ministry above and beyond what you were already giving to see a ministry happen here? The goal and, and the hope, kind of the vision of this team is that 50% of, the, of uh, what's happening in Napier would eventually be funded by the community itself and that 50% would be funded by us as Midtown as a whole. That that community will probably always, that that congregation may always need us to help support it. Great, because what we're happy to do is see the kingdom of God come there, right? And that we would come not as people, uh, not as people who are very confident in our resources, but are confident in the resources that, that Jesus has and his desire to give. Think about the disciples. Uh, they, were em- they were employing what I might, what I kind of think of as the original Krispy Kreme model. Do you guys remember when Krispy Kreme was Exciting. <laughs> Do any of you remember that? Like, w- there was a time where my aunt came back from LA. Wow, this mystical place. And she would bring us a Krispy Kreme donut. And she was like, no, 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 you can't eat it yet. We have to put it in the microwave because it melts in your mouth. Wow. And we tasted it. And she's like, well, it's not as good as it was when it came hot off the conveyor belt. We're like, that's amazing. And then they opened one in Bakersfield. And we were like in a line around the building to get the hat and the free donuts on opening day. Amazing. And then Krispy Kreme donuts were on every corner and in every gas station and they were everywhere and people were <clears throat> on Krispy Kreme donuts, right? That what they forgot is that creating scarcity was a benefit for them. Okay, so the disciples are buying into this original Krispy Kreme vision of keeping the resources scarce, right? If we can keep Jesus scarce, then we get a little bit of access to this authority and this power and it makes us feel bigger because Jesus is exclusive. And Jesus, Jesus is indignant about that. He says, absolutely not. The kingdom of heaven is an abundant kingdom and there is more than enough for everybody in that kingdom. And for us to be a people who have received the blessings of that kingdom mean that now we're a people who look at our own, our own resources and say, God, be abundant with these to the people around me. That we would be generous people. And that generosity, I'm, this is so important, guys. It's so much more than what you give. It's so much more than your tithe. Like that's, not, we're, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being people whose hearts are so aware of how much we have received from God that we delight to give that out to other people in whatever that looks like. You know, to, to, to be the kind of people who aren't always charging each other on Venmo. You know what I'm talking about? Just like the freedom of like, hey, you're coming over for dinner? Just, I, I can just buy the burger that I made you. It's fine, right? Like a, <laughs> maybe that's just a me thing. I don't know, but generous hearts. Do you get what I'm saying? That we're not always counting the pennies. It's just that we would be a generous and an overflowing and abundant people because of how abundant God has been with us. And this Napier ministry is one of the ways that God is inviting us to do that. There are all kinds of others, all kinds of other places you guys are already doing that, that we celebrate that and say yes to that. Yes, 
So would you come to Jesus to receive blessing? Would you let him embrace you in your neediness? Would you experience your father delighting in your neediness and that you would delight in it? And that because of that, that we would become conduits then for that blessing out into our world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess, uh, Lord, we have such a backwards vision of what it means for us to mature in you. Uh, Lord, that we have grown old in our spirits and not wiser, Lord, but hardened, cynical. Lord, would you free us? Lord, would you free us from our, our childishness and make us childlike? Would you make us into a people, even as we worship you this morning, Lord, would you uh, give us the freedom to receive from you? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.